0: Chapter 47 of Young People's Treasury, Volume 6, Famous Travels and Adventures by Hamilton Wright MAYBE. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Betty B. Volcanic New Zealand by James Anthony Froud. Our immediate business was to visit the famous terraces, the eighth wonder of the world. These were destroyed by an earthquake a few years after Froud's visit in 1885. The terraces were 24 miles off. We were to drive first through the mountains to a native village, which had once been a famous missionary station called Wairoa. There we were to sleep at an establishment affiliated to the Lake Hotel. And the next day, a native boat would take us across Terawara Lake, a piece of water as large as Rotorua, at the extremity of which the miracle of nature was to be found. We had brought a letter of introduction from Sir George Gray to the chief of Wairoa, a very great chief, we learned afterward, who declined allegiance to the king. It was to his tribe that the terraces belonged, and to them we were to be indebted for boat and crew, and permission to see the place. The sum exacted varied with the number of the party. There were three of us, and we should have four pounds to pay. The tariff is fixed to limit extortion. The money goes to the villagers, who make a night of it and get drunk after each expedition. A native guide, a lady, would attend us and show off the wonders. There was a choice of two, whose portraits we had studied in the Auckland photograph shops. Both were middle-aged. Sophia was small and pretty. She had bright black eyes with a soft expression and spoke excellent English. Kate was famous for having once dived after and saved a tourist who had fallen into the water and had received the Humane Society's Medal we delayed our selection till we had seen these famous rivals at night the scene is said to be more beautiful than in the day the fireflies being so many and so brilliant that the glade seems as if lighted up for a festival of the fairies it is altogether a preternatural kind of place on emerging from beneath the trees we found ourselves on the edge of a circular lake or basin of beautifully transparent sapphire-coloured water a mile in diameter with no stream running into it or out of it, enclosed completely round with woods, cliffs, and rocky slopes. No boat or canoe floats on its mysterious surface. It is said to contain no living thing save a dragon, which has been seen on sunny days to crawl upon a bank to warm itself. I was reminded instantly of the mountain lake in the Arabian Nights, where the fisherman drew his net at the bidding of the genius. Here, if anywhere in the world was the identical spot where the five fish were taken out, red, blue, yellow, purple, and green, that terrified the king's cook by talking in the frying pan. The dragon might really be there for anything that I could tell. Anything might be there, so weird, so enchanted, was the whole scene. Following the beach for a quarter of a mile, and listening to the voices of the waves which rippled on the shingle, we turned around a shoulder of rock and saw, a hundred feet below us, and divided from the blue lake by a ridge over which a strong hand might throw a stone a second lake of a dingy green colour not enchanted this one but merely uncanny looking i suppose below both these are mineral springs which account for the tint out of the green lake a river did run a strong rapid stream falling in cataracts down a broken ravine and overhung by dense clumps of trees with large glossy leaves The road followed the water into a valley, which opened out at the lower end. There stood Wairoa and its inhabitants. The fall itself was worth a visit, being finer perhaps than the finest in Wales or Cumberland. We had to crawl down a steep, slippery path through overhanging bushes to look at it from the bottom. The water fell about 200 feet at two leaps, broken in the middle by a black mass of rock. Trees started out from the precipices and hung over the torrent gigantic and exquisitely graceful ferns stretched forward their waving fronds and dipped them in the spray one fern especially i noticed which i had never seen or heard of which crawls like ivy over the stones winds round them in careless wreaths and fringes them with tassels of green returning to the upper regions we followed a path which ran along the shoulder of a mountain on our left were high beetling crags on our right a precipice eight hundred feet deep with green open meadows below the river having escaped out of the gorge was winding peacefully through them between wooded banks a boat house at the end and beyond the wide waters of terrawara enclosed by a grand range of hills which soared up blue and beautiful into the evening air i had rarely looked on a softer and sweeter scene we strolled home on the way i found what i took to be a daisy and wondered as i wandered at the pimpernel at melbourne it was not a daisy however but one of those freaks of nature in which the form of one thing is imitated one knows not why by another kate and her assistant maraleha rode us across the lake landing us at the mouth of a small river we took off our boots and stockings put on canvas shoes which a wedding would not spoil and followed our two guides through the bush waiting for what fate had in store for us miss mary laughing shouting and singing to amuse kate whose head still ached after a winding walk of half a mile we came again on the river which was rushing deep and swift through reeds and tie-tree a rickety canoe was waiting there in which we crossed climbed a bank and stretched before us we saw the white terraces in all its strangeness a crystal staircase glittering and stainless as if it were ice spreading out like an open fan from a point above us on the hillside and projecting at the bottom into a lake where it was perhaps two hundred feet wide the summit was concealed behind the volumes of steam rising out of the boiling fountain from which the siliceous stream proceeded the stairs were about twenty in number the height of each being about six or seven feet the floors dividing them were horizontal as if laid with a spirit level they were of uneven breadth twenty thirty fifty feet or even more each step down being always perpendicular and all forming arcs of a circle of which the crater was the centre on reaching the lake the silica flowed away into the water where it lay in a sheet half submerged like ice at the beginning of a thaw there was nothing in the fall of the ground to account for the regularity of shape a crater has been opened through the rock a hundred and twenty feet above the lake the water which comes up boiling from below is charged as heavily as it will bear with silicic acid the silica crystallizes as it is exposed to the air the water continues to flow over the hardened surface continually adding a fresh coating to the deposits already laid down and for reasons which men of science can no doubt supply the crystals take the form which i have described the process is a rapid one a piece of newspaper left behind by a recent visitor was already stiff as the starched collar of a shirt tourists ambitious of immortality have penciled their names and the date of their visit on the white surface over which the stream was running some of these inscriptions were six and seven years old yet the strokes were as fresh as on the day they were made being protected by the film of glass which was instantly drawn over them the thickness of the crust is i believe unascertained the maoris objecting to scientific examination of their treasure it struck me however that this singular cascade must have been of recent indeed measurably recent origin in the middle of the terrace were the remains of a tai tree bush which was standing where a small patch of soil was still uncovered part of this where the silica had not reached the roots was in leaf and alive the rest had been similarly alive within a year or two it had not yet rotted but had died as the crust rose around it clearly nothing could grow through the crust and the bush was a living evidence of the rate at which it was forming it appeared to me that this particular staircase was not perhaps a hundred years old but that terraces like it had successively been formed all along the hillside as the crater opened now at one spot and now at another wherever the rock showed elsewhere through the soil it was of the same material as that which i saw growing if the supply of silicic acid was stopped the surface would dry and crack Tie trees would then spring up over it the crystal steps would crumble into less regular outlines and in a century or two the fairy-like wonder which we were gazing at would be indistinguishable from the adjoining slopes we walked or rather waded upward to the boiling pool It was not in that we were to be bathed it was about sixty feet across and was of unknown depth the heat was too intense to allow us to approach the edge and we could see little from the dense clouds of smoke which lay upon it we were more fortunate afterward at the crater of the second terrace the crystallization is ice-like and the phenomenon except for the alternate horizontal and vertical arrangement of the deposited silica is like what would be seen in any northern region when a severe frost suddenly seizes hold of a waterfall before snow has fallen and buried it a fixed number of minutes is allotted for each of the sights. kate was peremptory with e and myself miss marhalaya had charge of my son come along boy i heard her say to him we were dragged off the white terrace in spite of ourselves but soon forgot it in the many and various wonders which were waiting for us Columns of steam were rising all around us. We had already heard, near at hand, a noise like the blast pipe of some enormous steam engine. Climbing up a rocky path through the bush, we came on a black gaping chasm, the craggy sides of which we could just distinguish through the vapor. Water was boiling furiously at the bottom, and it was as if a legion of imprisoned devils were roaring to be let out. Devil's Hole, they called the place, and the name suited well with it behind a rock a few yards distant we found a large open pool boiling also so violently that great volumes of water heaved and rolled and spouted as if in a gigantic saucepan standing over a furnace it was full of sulphur heat noise and smell were alike intolerable to look at the thing and then escape from it was all that we could do and we were glad to be led away out of sight and hearing again a climb and we were on an open level plateau two acres or so in extent smoking rocks all round it and scattered over its surface a number of pale brown mud heaps exactly like african ant hills each of these was the cone of some sulphurous geyser some were quiet some were active suspicious bubbles of steam spurted out under our feet as we trod and we were warned to be careful where we went here we found a photographer who had bought permission from the maoris at work with his instruments and merilea was made to stand for her likeness on the top of one of the mud piles we did not envy him his occupation for the whole place smelt of brimstone and of the near neighborhood of the nether pit our own attention was directed particularly to a hole filled with mud of a peculiar kind much relished by the natives and eaten by them as porridge to us who had been curious about their food this dirty mess was interesting it did not however solve the problem mud could hardly be so nutritious as they professed to find it though it may have had medicinal virtues to assist the digestion of crayfish the lake into which the terrace descended lay close below us it was green and hot the temperature near one hundred degrees Patched over with beds of rank reed and rush which were forced into unnatural luxuriance after leaving the mud-heaps We went to the waterside, where we found our luncheon laid out in an open-air saloon with a smooth floor of silica, and natural slabs of silica ranged around the sides as benches. Steam fountains were playing in half a dozen places. The floor was hot, a mere skin between us and cositis. The slabs were hot, just to the point of being agreeable to sit upon. This spot was a favorite winter resort of the Maori, Their palavering hall where they had their constitutional debates, their storeroom, their kitchen, and their dining room. Here they had their innocent meals on dried fish and fruit. Here also their less innocent on dried slices of their enemies. We were now to be ferried across the lake. The canoe had been brought up, a scooped-out tree trunk as long as a racing eight-oar and about as narrow. It was leaky and so low in the water that the lightest ripple washed over the gunwale the bottom however was littered with fresh-gathered fern which for the present was dry and we were directed to lie down upon it merilea stood in the bow wielding her paddle with her elf-locks rolling wildly down her back the hot waves lapped in and splashed us the lake was weird and evil-looking here kate had earned her medal. some gentleman, unused to boats had lost his balance or his courage and had fallen overboard kate had dived after him as he sank and fished him up again. The pink terrace, the object of our voyage, opened out before us on the opposite shore. It was formed on the same lines as the other, save that it was narrower and was flushed with pale rose color. Oxide of iron is said to be the cause, but there is probably something besides. The water has not, I believe, been completely analyzed. Miss Mary used her paddle like a mistress. She carried us over with no worse misfortune than a light splashing and landed us at the terrace foot. A youth took charge of us and led us up the shining stairs. The crystals were even more beautiful than those which we had seen, falling like clusters of rosy icicles, or hanging in festoons like creepers trailing from a rail. At the foot of each cascade, the water lay in pools of ultramarine, their exquisite color being due in part, I suppose, to the light of the sky refracted upward from the bottom." in the deepest of these we were to bathe the temperature was ninety-four or ninety-five degrees the water lay inviting in its crystal basin e declined the adventure i and a hung our clothes on a tea-bush and followed our maori who had already plunged in being unencumbered except with a blanket to show us the way his black head and copper shoulders were so animal-like that i did not altogether admire his company but he was a man and a brother and i knew that he must be clean at any rate poor fellow from perpetual washing the water was deep enough to swim in comfortably though not over our heads we lay on our backs and floated for ten minutes in exquisite enjoyment and the alkali or the flint or the perfect purity of the element seemed to saturate our systems i for one when i was dressed again could have fancied myself back in the old days when i did not know that i had a body and could run uphill as lightly as down. The bath over we pursued our way. The marvel of the terrace was still before us, reserved to the last like the finish in a pheasant battue. The crater at the white terrace had been boiling, the steam rushing out of it had filled the air with cloud, and the scorching heat had kept us at a distance. Here the temperature was twenty degrees lower. There was still vapor hovering over the surface, but it was lighter and more transparent and a soft breeze now and then blew it completely aside. We could stand on the brim and gaze as through an opening in the earth into an azure infinity beyond. Down and down, and fainter and softer as they receded, the white crystals projected from the rocky wall over the abyss, till so they seemed to dissolve not into darkness, but into light. The hue of the water was something which I had never seen, and shall never again see on this side of eternity. Not the violet, not the harebell nearest in its tint to heaven of all nature's flowers not turquoise not sapphire not the unfathomable either itself could convey to one who had not looked on it a sense of that supernatural loveliness comparison could only soil such inimitable purity the only colour i ever saw in sky or on earth the least resembling the aspect of this extraordinary pool was the flame of burning sulphur here was a bath if mortal flesh could have borne to dive into it. Had it been in Norway, we should have seen far down the floating Lorelei, inviting us to plunge and leave life, and all belonging to it for such a home and such a companionship. It was a bath for the gods and not for man. Artemis and her nymphs should have been swimming there, and we Actions daring our fate to gaze on them. This was the end of our adventure, a unique experience. There was nothing more to see, and any more vulgar wonders would now have been too tame to interest us we returned to the canoe and were rowed over the lake and down the river flights of ducks rose noisily out of the reed beds cormorants wheeled above our heads great water-hens with crimson heads and steadfast eyes stared at us as we went by the stream when we struck into it ran deep and swift and serpentine low hidden between flags and bushes It was scarcely as broad as our canoe was long, and if we had touched the bank anywhere we should have been overturned. Spurts of steam shot out at us from holes in the banks. By this time it seemed natural that they should be there as part of the constitution of things. In a few minutes we were at the spot where we had landed in the morning. End of chapter 47